asset manager, wealth manager, what is the difference? Um, traditional demarcation lines are broken down. You know, platforms are funds, fund managers and advisors are wealth managers. And why is this happening? And is it good for the end client? And I think you wanted to roll into this vertical integration. Yeah, I mean, for me, this, this kind of is, is about vertical integration mm -hmm. mainly. And um, I mean, it feels like there, there could be an obvious conflict of interest mm -hmm. there. And if we look at um, sort of Netflix or supermarkets, they can um, distribute third party products and also mm -hmm. manufacture their own and sell them. Yeah. But can you really do that in wealth management? Well, first of all, I think it's probably me who came up with the you term vertical integration, yeah. and boy, do I regret it. Yeah, and you're not even vertical. <laughs> Paul, and you're not even a vertical integration No, we're not, we're not at all. I was trying to ex uh, explain it. It was not Andrew Carnegie. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Basically, what do pe actually, what do people want? We c it's what I said before. Nobody wakes up in the morning and goes, I, oh, I think I need a platform. I think I need a multi-asset platform. I think I need that. They don't do it. They say, I need a bit of help. Okay, and who do I trust? Where do I go for a bit of help? So really what we're trying to build is a wealth manager for people who need a bit of help. Yeah. Okay. They, they, don't want to like, they don't want to go everywhere though, do no. they? They want to just go, they would, they would, ideally they'd like to go well, to one well, basically, well, would they? Why is it happening? Why, why Schroeder's bought, a, you know, launched a wealth manager? Or, well, or, or you, 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 you've been snapping up IFAs yeah. and, you know, I you've been snapping up IFAs. Yeah, I don't even know what Credit Suisse has been doing. We have so much focus. And I heard you're launching, you're, you're going to get into asset management. You're going to launch some <laughs> yeah, funds. You've already got your own yeah, funds. Yeah, so why great. is all this happening? Is it you want yeah. a bigger chunk of the pie? I, I think what's quite interesting is... Um, Sorry, Paul, I sort yeah, of cut okay. Paul off. Sorry, but when we launched our business, advisors were shareholders in it, okay? With advisors had to become a shareholder to use Nucus and the LEDs, okay? Yes. And that was vertical integration, right? And people freaked out by that because of conflict of interest. Yeah, like people tran transact. Yeah, right? and people thought that was a terrible thing, right? And actually, so it was advisors wasn't. owned a stake in yeah. the platform and they owned half and the business, right? Their clients. And, and people screamed, "This is terrible! It's conflict of interest." But it wasn't. It was, so there was a conflict of interest, but the model meant it was demonstrably cheaper for us to run our business and offer a cheaper customer price because of the operating model. Okay, so the customer got a better deal. So yeah. vertical integration or convergence. We want to call it where the customer is getting a better deal is a wonderful thing right it happens in all sorts of industries it's a great thing it's to be uh, applauded and anything we do beyond our current scope of the platform will be entirely with that mindset in mind okay and i think that's a, you saw i think with what um ian cook built for example on um with best practice and enable was a vertical integrated i think that was entirely with that same sort of motivation what we've seen in this industry historically, and I think demonstrably, is that we've seen vertical integration occur in many different ways, but not generally with the customer interest at heart. And I think if you look at the presentation between what companies tell their shareholders and the analysts against what they tell their customers, there's often a spread between the two. And not in every Any case, examples? Yeah, there, yeah. Three initials spring to mind? No, there, there, there are many examples. I'm sure you're well enough researched to go and find them. They're, they're, on, the, they're on websites. But, um, and I think you've got to, you've got to realize that the if the industry is to be trusted, which is a recurring theme we've had earlier on, if we really want to build that trust, we've got to tell our shareholders the same thing we're telling our customers. And we can't tell our shareholders there's two and a half or 3% up for grabs here in the value chain, and the other side try and say we're offering a kind of low cost or competitive proposition to our customers and this kind of charge has been concealed all over the place. And I think that transparency thing that's Convergence, I think, can be a wonderful thing. You can certainly assemble components in a way that makes the end-to-end -end costs better, the efficiency delivery much better. I don't think there's a lot of evidence of that having happened so far. There's been a whole load of stuff, as you've probably hinted at a minute ago, on three initials in the press in the last few weeks, where um, you know, it just is not demonstrably true that VI models in this country today 
offer a more competitive proposition in, in general? Hmm. Well, I would disagree with that. Go on, <laughs> um, first of all, I'd say we're not a VI model um, at all. We offer, we have an open architecture platform. We but what, what bit of what David said do you disagree with? I'd say that in terms of um, providing, first of all, I'd say, as it was Oscar Wilde said, you know, the cynic is someone who understands the price of everything and the value of nothing. It's yeah. <clears throat> so what a value, can, is the price is a component of value. And we need to, in the industry, keep driving down to a certain extent price or ensuring that our customers are, are participating in the economies of scale that we, we generate. So we need to start passing that on. Yeah. So one of the things in our company we're constantly doing is, are we making it cheaper? Are we doing it more effectively? Are we passing it on okay. to, our, to our customers? When you have scale and you have people want a solution, yes. you can provide that given you've got people need, if, if they want advice, if they need tax structures, yeah. they're yeah. investing most tax efficiently and money management. If you're doing those, if you can provide those three things, you can provide them at a lower cost. They will have to get them somewhere. Okay? If they have to go and search from, from different components, it can be more expensive. So with us, we do look at that and say it should be much. So, you know, I would love to see our industry saying, and I thought we had, you know, no exit charges, no hidden fees, only pay for what you use. Okay? <clears throat> um, drive, if the more you invest, the less you pay. Yeah. I'd love to have these simple principles across our industry. But the other thing I'd like, to, to David's point, is to, is to say, I'm not having to go at our regulator, but I think they've come a long way, but we need outcome-based regulation, not rule-based regulation, where everybody ticks all the boxes. You know, all the big banks went bust, and there was a million paragraphs of regulation in the, in the handbook, and yet they all went bust, okay? And they were all following the rules, okay? So we need outcome-based regulation and outcomes, what, do, what matters to clients? What matters to clients, to David's point, is the outcome, what they're getting. Well, sorry, what, what is it that David said that you disagree with? That, the, there's, no, that there's no evidence that some, um, even though we're not a vertically integrated model, if you can provide the three components yourselves, you can do it, you can, and you should be able to do it at a lower cost than getting those three components separately, because you've should, got economies of scale. I don't believe that's true. Paul, I love you dearly, but I did read a new misnote that said that the cost of investing through Quilter Financial Advisors was, I think, over 10 years, was 2.6%, 2.8%. So is that? I can go through through that. And I, I know Dave McCann at Numis, so I'm not going to get Do you disagree with that? I do disagree Okay, with that. all right. We, we don't have to drill down. I, I felt uh, I wanted to say it. Anyone else want to come in on this debate? I mean, you're, you're, you've moved into asset management. Yeah, and I, th I think for me, I mean, my starting point, I think we've seen this played out in the press over the last couple of months now, is that conflicts of interest are there to be managed, not to be run away from. So yeah, we should, we should, absolutely. Yeah, that was your point. Yeah, we should they're not necessarily of, of bad. But then I think that comes down to culture as well. It, it does, it does. So, you know, and then, you know, you are, you know, I, almost going back to the advice point before in the, in the fintech, I think advice, which you speak to most advisors now, it's more about financial planning is what they see their real, their real value as, which says to me the platform bit is commoditized and maybe controversially the asset management bit is, 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 is being commoditized as well. Yeah. Now, clearly there's always ways you can go and add value on that, but I think the starting point for most advisors now is what we do and what the asset management side is a commodity. What they do is a value-add service, and I think they are the most valuable piece in the, in in the, the chain. chain. The advisors. And the advisors. And therefore, our job then is to look and say, do we, back to David's point, can we 
introduce efficiencies into that uh, into that process. So we we launched our, our asset management side. So we aim to have uh, you know total cost of ownership now is is the figure in the industry that that's the one everyone yeah. you should look to, and if you don't, you should do. Um, we we would work on the basis that for a, for our passive MPS, the all in cost of the platform. Uh, the MPS and the OCF, the underlying funds, is 50 basis points. Uh, for active funds, it's 100 basis points, and for active, the one in between, it's 75 basis points, which then gives the advisor the ability to add on. I personally believe, as a customer, I would be thinking 150 basis points as an all-in cost is where I start losing my patience and thinking, you guys had better be good to be charging more than this. And what we say to the market... All in, all in. All in, everything all included. What I'm saying is that we can offer a solution, an all-in solution of 50 basis points, which gives the advisor a chance to offer 100 basis points for his service in a passive world. If, if, they, want to, you know, if they want to go less and go active or a active solution, but that, that, that's our view. And so vertical integration for us today, we will never be advisors. We've always said we'll never go into that advice space. That's our red line and we'll never cross. It's quite tricky given that most of your assets on your platform are from advisors. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but, you know, we not choose... competing with your customers. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And we, you know, we have a direct side as well, which, you know, far different customer profile. And I think you know, whenever advisors challenge us, I go through and say, look, the average value is about £70,000 and they're doing very different things. Very quickly, it ceases to be an issue. So we, we are an advisor firm at heart, just like David's. Uh, and I think our job is to accept that we're not the most important thing out there in the world. We just deliver a service. And as long as we do it well and efficiently, I think we keep advisors. Is, is, is all this happening because it's better for the client, or is all this happening for commercial reasons for the financial services institutions who see, to your point, that the big element of the value chain is in the advice bit, and therefore they want to capture that, and also to get closer to the clients, which is also... You know, we've, we've so got, got, we've got is them. it a commercial yeah. imperative? Is it driven by commerce it's or a the national, clients? I think it's a national imperative. We have no sovereign wealth fund in this country. We have the largest retirement and savings gap in the whole of Western Europe. The, um, <clears throat> the state pension, if you're um, <clears throat> born, I forget exactly what the date is, certainly, um, the more modern state pension is 170 something pounds a week. Yeah. Try living on that in London. Okay, so the reason why the government announced pension freedoms, to be frank, was not because of philanthropy. <clears throat> it was because the government pays its public sector pe workers' pensions out of today's tax receipts. Mm. The private pension retirement market is 10 times the public size of the public sector market. It cannot support that. And if you tell people what they have to do with their money at retirement, you have more than a moral obligation to look after them. You have a legal obligation to look after them. That is not a legal obligation that this government or any British government at the moment can afford. That's why we have pension freedoms. The government has left the ring, <coughs> taken the ropes with them. And those of us who are left in the ring better understand the rules of the game. And those rules are very complicated because of all the tinkering we've had down the years from successive governments in the retirement markets. That's where financial advice comes in. People need financial advice. The market, the financial advice market has been hit time and time and time again over the years. It is, it is providing you know, an incredible social good. Now, I think RDR and all the rest actually has raised the bar in the financial advice market in this country. But people need financial advice. So <clears throat> I think to, to Andy's point, it is a valuable, and people have to start realizing that financial advice is, its, is the service, a product in itself. Mm -hmm. To be able to in, and guide people, you will, through, you know, through this maze. I don't think anyone's challenging that though, are they? It I, is I, the I, product. I, yeah, I think, <laughs> yeah, 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 I think yeah, the question yeah. is whether an independent financial, yeah. 
perspective, an independent financial advisor should be recommending products manufactured by its own firm. And, now, well, I, I, and I what's, your, what's, your, what's your answer to I, that? Back to my point again about managing conflicts. There is definitely a conflict. I remember in the old days when I first started out as a trainee actuary, it was you know, better than best advice. You, in yeah. the old broker funds, which were horrid, mm. but you know, the obligation was you had to provide better than best advice. And that, to me, would be a, that term sort of makes sense. If you, you've got to go an extra step. Can I just see if Christian's got anything to I, say I, on I this do. discussion? I, I think this is where the industry has actually come a long way. If you look at structured products 10 years ago and the margins that were in structured products were incredibly high. Anytime we now pretty much issue a structured product, we will go out to three or four providers and keep everybody extremely on a tight margin. Now, obviously, that could be Credit Suisse, but it doesn't need to be. And it depends actually on counterparty risk, where you'd like to be, which bank. We now do customized solutions and most majority, it's not Credit Suisse who we go to. So that's where actually that open architecture, I think the industry has really made some remarkable improvements yeah. based on customer. I, I really yeah. do believe, because that was one area where there were very high returns for the industry 10, 15 years ago. And some clients are still, I don't want to pay for it. No, actually the fees have really come down. But stand back and look at the market. The financial advice market in this country has dwindled. <clears throat> okay, it's lower than it was before. And saying it's okay, well, you know, Yes, of course, you provide a great service, Andy. I know your proposition, your platform, everything. But at the end of the day, <clears throat> the market is, the advisors, um, are, there's fewer of them. Um, <clears throat> personal indemnity insurance is getting higher. Their costs and capital that they're having to provide is getting more. Yeah? So if we just let that happen, that industry will dwindle. So we support independent advice. Thousands of independent advisors we deal with every day. We support restricted advice, <clears throat> a couple of thousand of advisors, and our restricted proposition includes far more of other people's solutions than our own. Yeah. So you, you see but yourselves as protectors of the advice market? Well, I say we're putting our money where our mouth is we've instead sort, of just we've talking sort of moved about on it. on to the next question about yeah. the value of advice. Yeah. We've sort of slipped into that. Which yeah, yeah. Have, yeah. it's an interesting yeah. point. It kind of maybe yeah. it might help bridge the gap, I don't know, but there's, um, I think what you see, is, as far as I can see, in the VI businesses, and you can see it in advice groups that have gone into asset management as well, from maybe from a different starting mm -hmm. point, is that they seem to make inordinately more money in the product side than they do in the advice side. You know, I think if you look at the advice divisions of these businesses, they tend to wash their face if they're lucky or they lose money. Mm -hmm. And the asset management or product side makes a fortune. So that strikes me that the advice channel is being used almost to resist competitive pressure on asset management. That's using it as a distribution Ooh. channel, right? Uh, for asset management, and, it, and you can see, and lots there, there are lots and lots of examples where this has occurred. Well, and can you give some? You give lots of controversial well, the, the, statements. Well, the, the, the one, that, the one that's very evident. I mean, it's reported. In, you've reported in the past. I'm sure on SGP. I think, uh, I think the profit margin in the in your business probably pulls much higher on the asset management business, the advice business. I think the same is true, probably in true potential. I think that there's lots of examples. It's, it's, it's true in many many instances, and I think you've got a situation where. That's fine, if, but well, let's recognize in that instance, we are valuing the asset management, not the advice. Because we, we're saying the advice is that it can lose money forever, and we're okay with that as long well, as we get the is, so, so it's okay. I would say yes. it's, it's an observation, but the, the weakest part of our industry for decades has been the part closest to the customer, mm. which is the financial advice part. It's been the weakest in terms of capital. Yeah. It's been the weakest in terms of support, weakest in terms of management support. Okay. Um, and weak, weak is in terms of financial returns. So we can just leave it that way. 
So it was customer centric. Okay, it is very customer centric. Completely. Most, so I was, uh, yeah. Completely customer centric. Totally so you, agree you with that. We're in the space because we're altruistic. No, I'm not. Mm -hmm. I'm saying <clears throat> these businesses do run on tight margins, very tight margins, because they're people businesses. Now, no one in in, in Quilter is pay so. Do we pay our um, portfolio managers more because the margin is higher there or the margin is lower there? No, I can change the profit metrics in my subsidiary businesses in 10 seconds. Mm -hmm. I can say to um, Quilter investors, and we will just charge you 50% um, of all distribution fees. Your margin will go back down. So it's just wooden dollars for me. It's wooden dollars, because we're, we're a holistic firm. It makes no difference, but nobody gets paid on the profit margin. When some, <clears throat> some of my you know, people you know, who run, um, I say, the money management cycle, oh, I'm, we make X amount of profit. I said, don't ever say that to me again. You don't make any profit. You make a contribution to profit, and I, we can change that overnight. The only reason we don't have it is we're going to have an industry in, in <clears throat> transfer charging. Mm -hmm. So when you own the full part of, of yeah. the, the customer's value, value chain, the customer's value chain, then <clears throat> you, can, you can ensure that your remuneration systems do not match, don't, are not aligned to operating margins in, in parts of your business lines. You can change your remuneration completely. Yeah. Okay, and that's what we do at Quilter. So just two observations there. I mean, the first one is you're talking about um, VI and is the outcome acceptable and is it working as it should? Uh, you guys know this better than me. That as part of the uh, asset management market study, there was a platform review, wasn't there? And the platform review looked at VI, mm -hmm. but it didn't look at it thematically and in depth. Mm -hmm. But the FCA said, we are minded to say there is nothing for us to be concerned about. Yeah. In the platform market, did not say what, the asset management market. But uh, as a, for VI in general, my understanding mm -hmm. was they were not concerned about uh, detrimental outcomes mm -hmm. for, for customers yeah. who were going through that process. So. Maybe there's a, a validation of, of, of what Paul's saying. Yeah. Uh, and then the other thing on, on advice, so I'm a pure discretionary fund manager, very dependent on advisors. Uh, and there's often a bundled fee, as we know, and it's a platform fee, uh, an advice fee, probably some administration, a, a wrap fee, and a DFM fee in there as well. The one fee that never moves down, quite rightly, is the advice fee. The advice fee seems to be the one that is more sustainable than anything else. And I think one of the reasons for that is that the investment content that we're providing nowadays is becoming increasingly commoditized. So the value in the investment solution, you, do you remember the word uh, investment managers who run a, a seg portfolio at 150,000 quid with a dedicated client manager? All that's going, everything is going to NPS. So I think you know, the, the advice part of the value chain will remain extremely important because you can sustain the margin in that side. No, no, I think we're all actually agreeing how important advisors are, and I think the only, the only sort of challenge is whether the vertical integrated model gives best value to customers, and the total cost of ownership normally will evidence that very, Just very clearly. Just one quick anecdote. I put myself on a training course recently for IFAs, and I was frightened to death. I mean, the, yeah. the level of knowledge... Yeah. Absolutely. 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 Yeah. Level Absolutely four. current, and as it keeps... Oh, higher than yeah. that, actually. And as it mm. keeps changing with all the legislation, and the, the fear and the risk of getting any of that wrong yeah. to come back yeah. in five, ten years, this time yeah. uh, is, is frightening. Yeah. So one last thing on this, because it is a hobby horse for me. So <clears throat> um, first of all, we're not. We support advice in all of its forms. We support, with, yeah. you know, we put hundreds of millions of pounds in the market to support independent financial advisors every day of the week. And we will always, always do that. We do it for restricted financial advisors. 
we run the, the, the restricted, if you like, solution is very wide, but it's a quality assured proposition. When you walk into Waitrose, you don't see 10,000 jars of jam. You might see five or six brands with different flavors at different price points, but you know whichever one you choose, it's gonna be quality. And if it's not, you don't have to go and find the manufacturer, you just go back to Waitrose, okay? That's quality assured. I do have a, a bit of a hobby horse that some platforms, and I run a big platform, um, we, call, we call them fun supermarket platforms. They've not been supermarkets, they've been warehouses. In a supermarket, you don't just get to put whatever product you want on the shelf. And this will change in this country. Increasingly, we're gonna be responsible for the funds and solutions that are on our platforms. It's not gonna be good enough just to say, well, some financial advisor or somebody wanted it on. We're gonna start becoming responsible for it. We're gonna to have to quality assure our propositions. Do you think so? That's interesting. Because, uh, of course, Arch Crew was on a lot of platforms, I guess. Yeah, and uh, well, well, that's interesting. So you're, you're, you, are you saying you're where, these are, are you warehouses or supermarkets? Uh, well, I think that Paul's right. Is there the, some curation the, the going prod on? prod rules require us to be, have some greater diligence than was previously the case on uh, mm. what's there and what's not. I think um, quality is a very subjective. We'll talk about value for money, I think, in a little while. Yeah. <laughs> and it's a very difficult thing to measure. And what's, um, you know, what's high quality is somebody will be, will be, will not to be somebody else. And it's also very hard to measure over time because it might be something that looks great just now. Lots of things have been on platforms in the past have been accepted into um, portfolios. A high profile example, I think you mentioned earlier on, uh, Lawrence, at the start of this discussion, which would have been considered a high quality product, I'm sure, well, uh, two years one. ago and turned out um, didn't work out as well for people as they maybe hoped. Well, I was something that Richard said about, um, um, we, we, I think we, we established that the um, advice fee is, is, is pretty solid, but what about wealth management fees? Or do you mean the same? Well, the discretionary, yeah, the investment piece. So how much pressure is, um, are they under? I, um, I read a bit of research from, um, it's a firm called Nucoro. I don't know if you know of them. Don't know them. No, yeah. <laughs> well, anyway, I'll just mention yeah. what they said, that the, the growing regulatory and fee pressure. Um, within discretionary fund management is causing um, wealth management firms to turn away smaller clients and focus on, on larger clients. And so the definition of a small client is, of course, I think sub 250, sub okay. 250. Okay. And um, yeah. I think on average, 72 clients were being turned away a year um, yeah. per firm. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I think they, they surveyed about 55 firms. And um, I mean, is this, is this, is this a pressure? Is this it, an I, issue? It, it's uh, well, issue one thing, pressure it is for uh, for real, we feel it all the time, and margins are only going in one direction. They're getting more and more uh, compressed, and it's what I just said. I think that the advent of commoditisation in the industry is saying to the advisors, "I can get a similar outcome at a much lower cost." I mean, what Andy was saying is OCFs then and on uh, on Bell with your um, NPS solutions. I mean, the fastest growing. Uh, investment solution that we've got as a pure discretionary fund manager that grew up with lots of dedicated client managers with a portfolio of clients is managed portfolio service. And I don't know if anybody else would identify with that. And I understand it and I get it. And it's very important that we're in there and we're tailoring those so that the, uh, the advisor firm has got um, some involvement in asset allocation and the, and the overall structuring of the portfolio where they've got the right uh, permissions. And we're white labeling them and so on. Um, and that is going out at 30 bips or, or less um, compared with a core portfolio that might be up to 100 basis points plus whatever the underlying, uh, underlying uh, investments cost. And I just think there's, it, it's a massive shift that the industry's not necessarily woken up to. Is that 30 bips with the underlyings or 30 bips? Without the underlyings. Yeah, okay.
Uh, so the, 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 the broker heritage, traditional discretionary firms have got to think long and hard about their, their construct and their operating model because they've got a lot of very expensive people in there. And I think unless they're running uh, seg portfolios over two and a half, three million, and that number moves around the whole time, uh, you, they're going to get commoditized out of the job. And, uh, and, and the fee pressure is driving that very hard. So what I'm trying to do in my world, and I know a lot of my, my peers are doing the same thing, is, just, is to adjust uh, for that scenario playing out with more intensity over the next few years. It is transforming how we operate.